The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. Uh, We're going to be in Romans chapter 7. And I'm going to need Kara. She's probably in the nursery or my office. Thank you, Orla. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, We're going to start in Romans 7. I I was uh, not here last week. Adam was. Anybody here for that? Did you guys have fun? Was that good? Yeah. Really appreciative of Adam and and everyone who who ministers. She on her way. Babe, I didn't have time to get the thing set up. Could you help me just very quickly? I need that green extension cord plugged in with an iPhone charger, and then I can plug my phone in and stream that way. Hallelujah. Orla, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I also need my iPad. It's um, probably in that brown bag on the floor. Sorry, guys, to run you around like this, but thank you. No? Not the box. Uh, there should be an actual somewhere in there. Unless I moved it, you know, I was running around here. It's all right. Kara can probably round it up in a moment. Thank you, Orla. Uh, Romans chapter 7 uh, is where we will begin. And just so everyone knows, we have discussed, you know, uh, with getting the children's ministry back up and going. Um, a couple of the people who head up or, you know, help in the children's ministry, um, we're, we're still discussing it. Some people are a little more on the comfortable side. Some people aren't. Some people are totally personally comfortable with it, but kind of recognize maybe a lot of people aren't. So we're trying to figure out how to start, get that going, if we should, et cetera, and um, all that. So working on that. Hey, look at you, man. Look at this. No, I don't. I, Yeah, thank you, Willa. Thank you, babe. Awesome. Teamwork makes the dream work. Yes, it does. <clears throat> oh, also, by the way, Thursdays, Kara has begun uh, prayer here at the church. Linda, was that at 7 o'clock? Yeah, thank you, Rhonda. Yeah, I, yeah, we have to, I had, somebody had to watch the babies this week, so Linda and Kara came, and I watched the babies, but, um, praying for the nation, and uh, actually, there's probably some handouts around that kind of go over the general idea of all the ways, you know, praying, and uh, some of that was taken from a list that Patricia King, if anyone who knows her, uh, had sent out, and it was doing herself, so um, probably always a good time to pray for one's country, but I would say now's a, certainly a good time uh, to pray for our nation and watch God work. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know, I want all of us to have that, that reality. Like I said, Jesus is reality, you know, and I want us to have that mentality. You know, Jesus said in Luke 17, 21, he said the kingdom of God. So kingdom means the, it literally comes from, it's a compound from king's domain. So the king's domain, the kingdom of God, Luke 17, 21, is, Jesus said, within you. Right? And of course, Paul said in Romans 14, the kingdom of God is, first thing he mentioned, righteousness, right standing with God. Paul said in Romans 1, that the revelation of righteousness is the power of the gospel, right? Not fasting, not prayer, not praying in tongues, all of which are good things. But if you do those from the wrong vantage point, you, you could be like me and, you know, like I used to be. You know, you, you do those things. Because you've been told in some sense, either overtly or implicitly, that that's how you get right and then more right and then more right with God and that whole mentality. 
And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's where you start. You're fully right with God. That's what righteousness is. In the Greek, it literally means to be in a condition that is acceptable to God to, or to be what you ought to be. And so that's where we start. Um, but sometimes we read the Scriptures and there's like this disconnect, you know. Um, you read the Scriptures about these mighty men and women of God, and, and they were, but they were abundantly human. I mean, look at Abraham, a mess in so many ways, you know. If Abraham was up here wanting to preach today, I doubt very much we would let him. For starters, he's married to his half-sister. I'm waiting on somebody because, I, you know, that would flip your wig a little. But he was. And then he's traveling. The Lord tells Abraham, not all of Israel for all time. He specifically tells Abraham, I'm blessing you and protecting you and blessing those who bless you. And, and then just... Right after that, we see Abraham go, and on two different occasions, two different pagan heathen kings said, who's that gal? I'll take her. And the Lord defends him. But Abraham lied, kind of. He denied that she was his wife. And yet God came and backed him up. Because as Paul said, even when we are unfaithful, he abides faithful. Whew. God is not faithful to those who are faithful. Give me a break. If that was the case, because I've heard that, he wouldn't have anyone to be faithful to. Because none of us are perfectly faithful and obedient. Give me a break. All, you know, all of us, as it's been said, are at equal footing before the cross. But anyways, you read the scriptures and you look at guys like David and Abraham and Moses, all of whom were murderers and liars and all sorts of wonderful stuff. But God's faithfulness is a covenantal faithfulness and a and a covenantal faithfulness without getting into the different types of covenants in Scripture in the ancient Middle East, uh, Near East. Um, basically, when, when the parties come together, it's not, it's I will be faithful because I'm faithful. And that was the kind of covenant God created. And that's, all of that was pointing to the new covenant where God, from Jeremiah, but the book of Hebrews quotes it, where the Lord tells them in covenantal language, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And of course, we know those verses are referencing in the day, as it says, that the new covenant came about. So God's faithful because he's faithful. And you know, in living in a crazy time like this, um, Look to the good. I don't understand how, and we're all human and we all do it, but let's, let's catch ourselves. Let's repent. Let's rethink. Let's metanoia, change our mind, and fix our eyes. Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus. So that's where we're looking because he's the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. And so all through Scripture, I mean, just read the prophets. Read, read the Exodus account. Think about the times that they were living in in the early church. God's power, God's goodness, God's faithfulness. It's kind of like Romans 5 says, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So if it looks like it's just terrible, great, because God's not dead, and He's not retired, and He's not on vacation. So when I am weak, when we are weak, then I, we are strong. When it looks the worst, you understand? God specializes in the impossible. Am I getting anywhere today? You know, and so 
this isn't, oh, it's so bad. It's, and I don't, you know, people, oh, it's so bad out there. Jesus has got to be coming back soon. Stop using your circumstances to, and I'm talking to myself, to build your theology. Jesus doesn't have to come back just because we think it looks so bad. Newsflash, the world has seen much worse. Corona is not the first pandemic or uh, anything like that. Think about the plague, uh, the Black Plague that killed one-third of Europe. I don't think we're there yet, you know. We've not even reached that level, no, not to mention surpassed it. And so, it, in other words, here's what I'm trying to get at. It's a great time to be optimistic because the true and living God is in our midst. And He's just He, he will not partner with doubt, fear, and unbelief. He just will not do it. He's stubbornly optimistic, faith-filled, and hopeful. Hallelujah. All right. I don't know what, what that has to do with much of anything, but we're going to start in Romans 7. All right. Uh, we, and we have been looking at righteousness and condemnation uh, for some time now. And going to try to, not exactly sure, the next couple of few weeks here, wrap this up. Um, we were looking at a baptism service, by the way. Uh, we have multiple people in the church wanting to be baptized. Um, we were planning to get that going here, and hopefully we still can. Uh, but the last two or three, I don't know much about it. I just know the last two or three days, we've had the first hints of slightly cooler weather, like in the mornings. So I don't know. We'll see. I'll let you know with the quickness. So if, if you're a candidate for that, let me know, please. I have a handful of people right now who are interested. Uh, we are discussing whether we would do it at our house, possibly, or maybe somewhere else. Um, but we'll keep that updated. All right. Okay. Romans 7, and we'll begin in verse 1. Now, we're, listen, we're going to read some stuff here today that it's just some of that stuff that it's just hard to believe. Huh? Okay. It will not be at our house. I, I said I'd let you know. Now you know. When did she take the pool down? When? I lived there. I'll be honest with you. I, I was there. Boy, I tell you, that woman's sneaky. I'm going to wake up on a side of the road one day in, in Bangladesh. Not knowing how in the world I got there because Kara shipped me off, you know, in the middle of the night. I don't know. Yeah, that's not working. All right, uh, Romans 7, uh, verse 1, starting in verse 1. Again, this is stuff that is so just baffling. It's just hard to, it's unbelievable, and yet it's right there in Scripture. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Paul says here, or do you not know, brethren? Now, notice what he says. For I am, in parentheses, Romans 7, 1. For I am speaking to those who know the law. If you remember in the book of Romans, the congregation there, the, the group of people there, the recipients of the letter, were a mixed congregation of Jews coming to faith in the Lord and Gentiles coming to faith. But the Jews had a, a previous, you know, covenant experience, whatever, with the true and living God. But the covenant changed, which was a big deal for them. And then you got these pagans coming in who don't know anything about the living God, you know, more or less. And yet they come in. And so Paul right here takes a little and says, okay, I'm talking to you guys specifically here. And so he kind of gives that little qualification. Verse 1, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. Then he says this, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman, now he's talking about the law of Moses here. I don't, people should, these verses aren't new covenant teachings on marriage. It's not his point. Notice what he said, for I'm speaking to those who what? Know the law. So keep that in mind. He's just musing it to make a point, though. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband 
while, while he is living. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, notice this, she is free from the law. Free from the law. So that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also, Romans 7, 4, were made, notice this, to die to the law. So Paul says, we have died to the law of Moses. You're dead to it. And we looked at Romans chapter 6, where Paul taught we were dead to sin. Well, there, that's a connected, that goes together. Because to be alive, if you will, to the law system, to be under the law, is ipso facto one and the same for sin to have dominion over you. Because that's the purpose of the law of Moses. Romans chapter 3 says that by the law is the knowledge of sin. We cover that a lot. By the law is the knowledge of sin, right? By the law is not the knowledge of how to live godly or get right with God or anything like that. It's the knowledge of sin. It diagnoses the problem, but, but it doesn't provide an answer. So the law can say, you're sick, you're dead, you're wrong, you're bad, you're this, you're that. Well, what are you going to do for me, doc? Oh, no, I was just telling you what's wrong with you. Check out, you know, see you next month or whatever. But uh, one of those kind of deals. It, it can't. What are those? There were some commercials where they did that. This, uh, some guy, you know, be in the house. I don't know if it was alarm systems or I don't remember what it was. But it, it was more or less, they'd be like, you know, okay, what's the problem? Oh, yeah, man, you got a broken furnace in here, blah, blah, blah. Well, how much is it? Oh, I don't fix it. I was just telling you what was wrong with it. Everybody know, knows what that what, what shouted out. But um, it, the dinner. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Thank you, Max. No help, just here's the problem, right? Um, and if you think about it, for, for, this isn't a verse you hear a lot, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56 says, for the strength of sin is the law. The strength, and that's the Greek word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. So the law gives the reigning, explosive, dominion, power. You understand? So the law is the strength. That's a direct quote from Paul. You know, not some TV preacher we don't like. That's, quote, for the strength of sin is the law, right? And so that's what the law does. It is the sin system, in, in essence, all right? The law system is the sin. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, emphatically, as Paul tells us here. Paul, Paul, we'll read that. Paul said he was, you know, asleep, but dead to sin. But the law came, the commandment came, and aroused sin within him. Now, that's, that's so contrary to what most of us have been taught. And, and there, there is a common thing, and somebody will have to help me with this, where people say there's, there's three parts of the law. The ceremonial, ritual stuff, the civil law, I think, was one of them, and then the moral law. And they say, well, those parts are gone, but the moral law is still in effect. But there's no scripture that says that. And as a matter of fact, there are many scriptures that clearly and plainly say, the otherwise, say otherwise, right? And that's why places like here in Romans 7 are so powerful and, and profound and helpful, Right? Now, uh, look at, let's look here at verse 4 again. 
Therefore, my brethren, you were made to die to the law. How? Through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. So under the law system, under the system of works, self-righteous works, you can't bear fruit. Right? Is that You see that? Notice again. We died to the law, joined to another, so we might bear fruit to God. So the works, law-based, mosaic system can't produce fruit before God. And you think about that. You say, pass it. not me, but if you were talking, you know, like you go to, you know, or maybe me, but I wouldn't do you this way. But just theoretically, you go to some, pre, you know, pastor, I'm struggling, man. I, you know, I, I don't feel, whatever, man, take your pick. We've all been there. You know, you, you don't feel saved half the time, right? You know, you just feel so <laughs> life and devil and experience and too, uh, far too much non-gospel preaching and any number of things can uh, make you feel less than great about yourself, to say the least. But, you know, it's the very common thing is, you know, I'm just not, you know, I don't feel right with God. I feel far from God. I'm blah. And then the common diagnosis is, well, you need to, or the, you know, you need to pray more. You need to give more. You need to fast more. You need to read the Word more. You need to read more books. You need to be in more services. You need to serve more. You need to do more, do more, do more. And there's obviously nothing wrong with Scripture exhorts us in service towards God and others. But it's the foundational motivation. And that's what Hebrews 6 calls dead works. Paul said, or the author of Hebrews said, one of the fundamental doctrines, and he, he lists six doctrines there, one of them is repentance from dead works and faith towards God. So repenting isn't just turning away, it's also turning towards. Turn away from a lie, turn towards the truth, right? The truth that makes free. And so the dead works uh, in the book of Hebrews are obviously the works of the law, right? And so very often good works and dead works look the same, but it's what's in here that's determining something. It's what's in your own heart. Am I doing this to get right with God or because I am so abundantly blessed? I'm already a clean, righteous, blessed child of God. So it's not to get right with God. It's because I am right with God, right? It's like we say sometimes, we don't pray for victory. We pray what? From victory, right? Uh, faith, any number of things. You know, we, we, we want to understand these things, you know, it's like, well, faith, we, we'll say faith, and it's okay, it's not the hugest deal, but, you know, faith is what moves the hand of God. When the truth is, God's hand already moved by grace, faith is just our accepting and receiving it. I've I heard for years, God is not moved by the needs of man. Honey, we didn't talk him into sending Jesus. Like, who, who took an airplane up to heaven and had a council with the Trinity and said, hey, look, it's really bad down there, could you please do something? No, he moved because of our need. And Ephesians chapter 2 says we were strangers from the covenants of God and that we, it literally says, without hope and without God in the world. In other words, humanity was so lost, we didn't even know we were lost, right? There was a gap between us and God that not only could we not bridge that gap, we didn't even know the gap and the separation was there, right? And so God did move because of man's need. But it's faith and will, the human will, are not one and the same, but they're directly connected because faith, faith and our will are involved. You understand what I'm saying? Because we have the freedom of choice, in other words. So by faith, we can receive 
what God has already provided. And that can sound like a little deal, but, but it can be a very big shift for some of us, right? Um, check this out, though. And Ray mentioned this. Verse 5, man, this is incredible. For a while, now this is important. You know, I want to point something out after we read the verse. But Verse 5, for while we were in the flesh. Now listen, Pentecostal charismatics or whatever else is out there. In the flesh and in the spirit, in Paul's language, particularly in Romans and Galatians, does not mean, man, I went out last night. I had, a, I had one too many beers. I flipped off somebody on the way home. I felt so bad. I kicked the dog when I walked in because I didn't like how he was looking at me. Boy, I was in the flesh. But I asked God to forgive me, and I got right, and then I came to church the next day, and I shouted, and I hooted, and I hollered, and I was in the Spirit. And that verbiage, that lingo is fine. I don't have any problem with it at all. I use it. But that's technically not what Paul is saying here. In the flesh is a technical term for Paul. So when he says in the flesh, it means spiritually dead person under the law. And you're going to see that. In the spirit means born again person out from under the law in the new covenant system. Just important to catch that um, as we read this. For while we were in the flesh under the law, the sinful passions... Now, notice this, Romans 7, 5. The sinful passions which were aroused by the law. So I'm going to read that again. Make sure I didn't make that up. For a while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. How dare you, Paul? No, it's, you know, I don't know why we don't hear more of this. But, you know, we don't have a framework. People don't know what to do with it, you know. And I've been there. Don't misunderstand, you know. He says, we're at work in the members of our body. So being under the law, what kind of fruit does that produce? Well, he tells you, to bear fruit unto death. Verse 6, but now that we have been freed or released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. What does bound mean? Bondage. And it gets over into Galatians chapter 5 where Paul says, do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And he was talking about the law of Moses. Uh, verse 6, having been freed from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit. That's the new birth, the new covenant system, the system where it's not observing external laws, but the law of God's love, love others as I have loved you, the new covenant commandment, is written on our hearts, right? The new, the new creation within us. Uh, we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. That's uh, Hold your spot there if you want, but uh, let's look at something here quickly in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Check this out. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. And let's see here. Da, da, da. Let's just do it, start in verse 1. Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? Verse 2, you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Verse 3, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, an epistle of Christ, cared for us. Now notice this, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have 
through Christ toward God. Verse 5, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency or adequacy is from God, which might put your mind, you know, make you mindful of this is 2 Corinthians 3. Well, think about chapter 12, where Jesus tells Paul, my great, when he's being attacked by a demon, my grace is sufficient for you, right? And then right here, Paul is saying, our, it depends on your translation, but adequacy or sufficiency is not of ourselves. It is from God. Think about that. Our sufficiency. What makes me good enough? Jesus and nothing else. Not what I do for Jesus, but what Jesus has done for us. That's the gospel. Discipleship is, is the element of how we incorporate that into our soul and our life and live that out in service towards others. But the foundational cornerstone, as Scripture calls it, the chief cornerstone, the rock of offense, is not what we do for God, what He has done for us. Uh, verse 6, who also made us adequate. There is a bug attacking me up here like nobody's business, man. They're going to think I'm nuts on the camera there, but whew, hallelujah. Beelzebub up here, Lord of the Flies. Who also made us adequate as servants, notice this, of a new covenant, verse 6, a new covenant, not of the letter, that's the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter, the law, kills, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 7, but if the, notice, this is, this is just incredible. If the ministry of death, well, what's the ministry of death, Paul? In letters engraved on stones. What would that be? Not too hard to figure that one out, is it? Verse 7, the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones. Then he says this, it did come with a, you know, a certain level, in other words, of glory, so that the sons of Israel, in other words, God worked through it, even though Hebrew says it was an inferior covenant. They could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, even though it was fading. How much more, verse 8, will the ministry of the, the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation, so in a few verses, he's called the Ten Commandments the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation, right? Now, much more, verse 9, does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. And all these incredible, you know, we got these verses down here where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with open face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Think about that. You know those verses, right? Verse 17, you can look at that. Now, the, the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What's the context? Freedom from what? The law. Verse 18, but we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror. So, so when we look in a mirror, what do we see? This mirror. Not the one when you wake up in the morning, stumble into the bathroom, the lights are off. You flick it on and, <laughs> boy, that face looking back at you just scares you to high heaven, you know. No, not that mirror. <laughs> or if you're Max, you walk in front of that thing every morning and say, hello, good looking, because Kathy won't say it for him, so he's got to, oh, sorry. <laughs> you got to get it from somewhere, right, Max? <laughs> I bet Kathy tells you you're pretty. So, yeah, her handsome boy. You're her bow. But so when we look in a mirror, like I said earlier, Jesus is our reality. 
He is our identity. He is the only thing, if you will, or what you know, person, however you say it, that has the right to define us. So nothing else can determine my true identity. Only Jesus, right? So when I look in a mirror, and what do I behold? The glory of the Lord. That's my, in other words, that's your identity. That's what I see. And, of course, the mirror, this mirror being, you can say it different ways, but more or less we'll say God's Word, you know, the mirror of God's Holy Word. And we're transformed into, so in other words, I'm, I am that image, but I'm going to progressively experience it more and more, experientially, which is, I highly recommend for all of us. Uh, from glory to glory, old covenant glory to new covenant glory, just as from the Spirit of the Lord. Man, there's so many good things here. I'm going to get back to Romans, but very quickly here, uh, just continue here in verse chapter 4. Look at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, because we didn't read it, but he was talking about the, the veil that was over Moses' face, and well, we, we read part of it. Um, if it is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4, in, in whose case the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Notice this so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Woo! Who it, Jesus is the image of God. And there's so many other verses. Hebrews 1 tells us he's the express image and exact representation of the Father's nature. As one person has said, I didn't come up with this, but I think it's very good. The, the eternal triune God, in other words, Here's the quote. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time where God was not like Jesus. We have not always known that, but now we do. Right? That's, I think that's a powerful statement. There's a scripture in the Psalms, I want to say chapter 50, I would have to double check, where the Lord tells Israel, says to Israel, and very profound, He says, you thought that I was like you. And that's religion, creating a God in our image and likeness. That's, I mean, if you look at how God had to deal with all those Israelites, just like he has to deal with us, but I mean, he gets them out of Egypt, and Moses goes up there to hang out with God, and they all could have went, but they rejected the invitation. God told them in chapter 19, he did not want one tribe to be the priesthood. He wanted the entire nation to be a kingdom of priests. And they told Moses, hmm, how about you go up there? Because we're afraid we'll die if we get up there. And that's how most people feel. That's how most Christians feel. If you get too close to God, man, He might see what's wrong with you and kill you. Newsflash, He already knows how messed up you are. Newsflash, He's already taken care of it at the cross. Come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy, which implies you missed it. Meaning, He already knows you missed it, you know? And the grace to help in your time of need. And those same verses there, right before that, in Hebrews 4, the author of Hebrews says, everything we do, all things are naked and bare, or open and bare, before Him with whom we have to do. And if you stop right there, and most of us do, you get scared to death. Because that's where you get that stuff. You can, fool your, you can fool your wife. Bless God. You can even fool me, the preacher. But you can't fool God, buddy. You know, one of those deals. Yeah. You've been threatened with that one too? But he goes on to say, Therefore, come boldly before the throne of grace. 
I mean, God's throne is made of grace, man. That's good stuff. Whew. I don't deserve, you know, a lot of times it's like the prodigal son. You know, we think, oh, God, I've been saved for umpteen years, but I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be a Christian or whatever. And I'm no longer worthy of these blessings or what, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's what the prodigal said. He said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's the point. You were never worthy. You can't unworthy yourself for something that you never worthied yourself for to begin with. Bad English, but a pretty good point, I think. Right? Or I hope. You were never worthy, so good. Good deal. You don't have to try to keep being worthy. Whew. Oh, thank God for the blood of Jesus, man. Whew. Ah, get over it, baby. Get over it. God knows better. That's the amazing thing. We all have some idea of how jacked up we are, how messed up, broken, defective, and whatever else you want to. I mean, I hope you do. <laughs> if you don't, the Pharisee section's over there. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, we'll preach the gospel to you too. Don't misunderstand me. But most of us have far too much of a sense of how messed up we are. You know what I'm saying? The Lord has infinitely greater awareness of how broken, defective, and messed up we are. But, but the Lord also knows the real you. Because that you that used to exist apart from Him is dead and gone. And our lifetime of growth and discipleship and transforming from glory to glory is not becoming something we're not. It's nurturing that life that's already within us. It's feeding. Like uh, Peter said in 1 Peter 1, he said... As newborn babes, desire and receive the milk of God's Word. So, and Paul dealt with this a lot. First Corinthians or, and whoever wrote Hebrews, that there was the time where you start out on milk, and basically using Paul's language here, but he wants us to get to solid food at a certain point, right? Well, that's because there's transformation, there's growth, right? And that new us is righteous, holy, and blameless. So growth or transformation into that identity that's already there cannot come. Like, I can't eat chairs for the rest of my life. You know, this nice, delicious, juicy, buttered, sizzling chair. You know, I can't live and sustain a lifetime on eating chairs. My nature, my human nature is not compatible with living off of eating chairs or carpet or bark. I don't know. Take a pick, something, you know, whatever. Well, the life of God in you is righteous and holy and blameless. Therefore, it can't be nourished and fed, and you can't grow by being fed a diet of unworthiness and sin to consciousness and shame and doubt and unholy and not good enough. And it, it's not compatible. Yeah, Paul said in Romans 1, the righteousness of God is the power of the gospel as we go from faith to faith. Most I've been told explicitly by wonderful people, you start out by faith, but God expects you to mature and live unto works. Okay, well, in order to do that, i got to throw out the Bible because that's not in there. So I guess I'll just do my own thing, which is what religion is, you know. And like I started here a moment ago, it's in, uh, I'm almost at my first closing. But the, the, it was, I believe it was Blue Oyster Cult. Anybody ever heard of that? Any old, old rocket? You never heard of Blue, Blue Oyster Cult? What, what was their really, really famous song? It was They had one, The Reaper, right? Was that them? The Don't Fear the Reaper? Was that them or somebody else? Don't Fear the Reaper? No. Don't act so holy, you bunch of sanctified, godly, holy people. I like Led Zeppelin, man. 
I like Pink Floyd. Yeah. They're more than fine, man. Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. My good Jimi Hendrix. Holy hallelujah, baby. Bob Marley. We played Bob Marley at our wedding. And Clint Brown. Does anybody know who Clint Brown is? He was Rod Parsley's worship leader for a long time. He's had a church in Florida now for a long time. But we played that first. But on the way out, we played Bob Marley is this love. I love me some Bob, man. Hallelujah. Good old Bob. Yeah, 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 yeah. You weren't allowed to listen to that, were you? Or not? Any of you ever come from, uh, you know, those, uh, there's different ways to go about it, but uh, hell of it, your TV, you got one of those hellavision sets in your house, getting all that junk from Hollywood. And there is some truth to that. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just, you know, doesn't mean it's all bad. Doesn't mean you're going to hell for watching a football game or whatever. Me and Kara just started Downton Abbey last night. Anybody ever watch that? Tried? Why? I don't know. We're one episode in, and I'm down with it. Yeah. I'm an Anglophile anyways. I love all. British television, honestly, is like the best I've, I've come across, man. Father Brown. Anybody watch Father Brown? I know, I know Rhonda. Yeah, baby. Ooh. A, a, a murder, crime-solving uh, a priest. It's so awesome. He lives in England. Back at a time where it was very unpopular to be a Catholic in England. Uh, that doesn't really come up in the show, but it's part of it's the actual history. But because Anglicanism was, it was a big deal. Anyways, um, I love Father Brown, but I'd never want to live near him because everywhere that guy goes, somebody somebody's there's a funeral, man. Great actor though, Mark Williams. Ah, oh, great show. Well, anyways, Blue Oyster Cult on the on the like. The inside, you know, of one of their albums, they had, they had wrote, and I don't know who originally said it, but they took it where it said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image. Man being polite or something like that, returned the favor. And that is the essence of religion. And that's what the children of Israel did. They said, oh, Moses must have got lost or we don't know what's going on up there. Let's just make a God that we understand, a God in our own image, right? And uh, then, of course, they made the calf. And we've been trying to tip over that holy cow ever since, you know. But um, let's go back to Romans and we'll wrap up. But it, it is easy, you know, to preach a God in our own image. I, that's what, early on, is it, anybody in here ever listen to Andrew Womack? I would highly recommend it. Andrew was one of the first guys, you know, working at Norval's ministry and being exposed to so many incredible uh, men and women of God coming through there. But there was, I noticed after a few years there that very often God I never could figure out what kind of mood God was in or why he got in said mood. But it was basically whatever mood the preacher was in that day, they projected that as if God was, you know, automatically on board with it. So if the preacher's upset and mad, he comes out and slaps everybody around. Well, that's how God feels. So I'm straightening you bunch of heathen out, you know. Andrew Womack was really the first guy I saw that would come out, you know, service day in and day out, and he, he was consistent because he believed in a God whose nature was truly consistently good as revealed in Jesus in the Scriptures, not just up and down because we don't know which covenant we're in, and we're mixing the covenant. So one moment God's man, the next day he's good. I mean, all that, all that kind of stuff, man. And nobody likes to walk on eggshells around, you know. Yeah, it's no fun, man. You want to be married to somebody and every... When they come home every day, you don't know what mood it's going to be or what it's going to No, no. And, of course, Abba, we are his bride. We're the bride of Christ. And uh, our heavenly husband is, and I'm, that's a metaphor, is not 
uh, as Andrew says, he's not mad. He's not even in a bad mood. <sighs> Love that. Thank God. We, you, you, we couldn't have dreamed up a God better than the real God. I mean, you just couldn't have come up with anything better than a God. And, and we don't always understand some of the historical implications of these things. But all throughout the ancient Near East, when the gods, the stories, their stories of the cultures, of the gods creating the worlds, it always would come about through an act of violence. Some god would murder some other god and, uh, you know, create this world out of his slain corpse. The god of the Israelites, the Hebrew, what became the Hebrew people, they were essentially the first ones who God created through an act, a peaceful act with a goal of love. And that's a big deal. Just like monotheism, which the Hebrew people come to learn, it took a lot of time, it took thousands of years for them to learn that there was only one true and living God, and there was no other gods. You know, That was a massive understanding and revelation and all these types of things. You know, But i, I got to move on here. Let me wrap this up here. Um, verse, uh, verse 7, uh, Romans 7, 7, in closing. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? No. So the law is not bad. It's in and of itself the law, and he's really talking about the Ten Commandments here in, in context, as we'll see. Is it in and of itself evil? No. It just reveals and stirs up the evil within me. So in other words, the, as we read in 2 Corinthians 3, the law system, if I look in that mirror, I'm going to see sin. Condemnation, shame, guilt, unforgiveness. Because that's the purpose of the law. To reveal what's wrong with me. Why? So I'll turn and look in that other mirror and see, as, as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 4 there, when the veil of the law system is removed, now I see another image. Him within me. My true image. Right? So what mirror are you looking in? You know, I'd recommend... The Jesus one, not the law one. I would not have come to know sin except, now notice that, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. As he already said in chapter 3, for through the law is the knowledge of sin. Then he says, uh, for I would not have known about it, coveting, if the law had said, not said, you shall not covet. Verse 8, trying to close. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment produced within me, covetousness of every kind. Now look at this verse, last part of the verse. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Woo! For apart, I'm quoting here, for apart from the law, Romans 7, 8, apart from the law, sin is dead. So if somebody comes to you and they need help, they need a breakthrough, they want to get closer to God or any of that kind of stuff, law is not the answer. Works of self-righteousness are not the answer. The only answer is the blood of Jesus. And unfortunately, far too many of us have been taught, oh yeah, when you get saved, it's by the blood of Jesus. But after that, it's up to your works. Well, thank God that beautiful heresy is not scriptural. All right? There is no other way for anyone to come ever, saved or not, except through the blood. The blood of Jesus. Verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, it deceived me and through it killed me. As Paul said in Roman, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 
What is the law? Specifically the Ten Commandments? The ministry of death. And Paul says here, it killed. Last two verses, 12 and 13. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to me. So what does the law do? It reveals, it diagnoses the problem, but it cannot help fix it. Uh, to be sin affecting my death through that which is good. So that through the commandment, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. So the law is gasoline on the fire of sin. But the gospel is what produces fruit in our lives. The good news. We never graduate, or you know, we shouldn't, and you know what I'm saying. We never graduate from the gospel. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, he said, As you received Christ the Lord, I believe verse 6, As you received Christ the Lord, so continue in Him. Colossians 2.6 And of course we receive Him by grace through faith, right? Not of works, lest any man should boast. And so that's how we continue in the kingdom of God. And even in Galatians, you know, chapter 5, Paul says in verse 16 that if you're led by the Spirit of God, you will not come under the law. The Spirit of God will never lead you, never lead us back to Mount Sinai. He points to a new and better covenant, as Hebrews calls it. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.